0: Hello, I'm Hannah Kaplan, and this is the WCS Wild Audio Podcast, where you'll find reported audio stories covering the latest news and newsmakers from WCS's field sites, zoos and aquarium, and their conservation partners. We've got a great show today, so let's get to it. to the annual meeting of the United Nations General Assembly in New York, UN Climate Week brings together global leaders in business, government, and the climate community. This year, the theme is getting it done. So Wild Audio asked WCS climate adaptation scientist Lauren Oakes what she thinks about when it comes to adaptive strategies to confront the climate crisis.
1: Climate adaptation is what scientists call actions taken to help communities and ecosystems cope with changing climate conditions. Those conditions can include anything from warming temperatures and extensive drought to increased wildfire frequency and intensity. Adaptation actions are accepted today for the critical role they play in responding to climate change. But that wasn't always the case.
2: In the early 2000s, maybe even in the late 1990s, when you know, people like Al Gore and others were really promoting this issue as something we needed to get on top of, adaptation was thought of as... The thing we turn to when we fail at mitigation. But the truth of the matter is we need them both. Even if we were to stop all emissions today, like boom, they're gone, um, there is uh, a delay and a suite of problems that we're still facing in terms of impacts coming from what we've already put into the atmosphere.
1: Lauren Oakes monitors the impact of climate change on forest ecosystems and how those ecosystems can be better managed for both nature and people. She spoke to me about the WCS Climate Adaptation Fund, which supports projects focused on those challenges with funding from the Doris Duke Charitable Foundation. Since the fund began in two thousand and nine, says Lauren, there are fewer projects focused on resisting climate-driven drift of non-native species into a given ecosystem, and more projects focused on helping species already in that ecosystem adapt to changing climate conditions.
2: For example, you could go ahead and plant a number of tree species that have been planted in an area for decades. But hey, it turns out that you know this area is now experiencing a lot more drought or maybe maybe flooding events and that'll change when you want to plant in the case of drought you need to think about what species may be more resistant into the future.
1: Lawrence cites another example involving wildlife in Hawaii. In the
2: northwestern Hawaiian Islands, low-lying atolls fight habitat for black-footed albatrosses, boned petrels, and storm petrels. This region is seeing is you know sea level rise a loss of that coastal dune habitat that's critical to some of those bird populations and this was a project led by an organization called pacific rim conservation protecting habitat at higher elevations uh restoring some of these coastal dunes, but then also creating
1: new colonies by moving the birds
2: to these higher elevations.
1: In the dozen years the Climate Adaptation Fund has operated, it supported a wide range of projects across the United States. From planting species that may be better suited to future climate conditions, to protecting human communities from coastal erosion and storm surges, to working in watersheds to improve water quality or quantity, There's so much work being done at the local and regional level, both in the United States and across the globe. I asked Lauren whether, set against larger global commitments that tend to attract more media attention, these are the actions where the rubber really hits the road.
2: Targets are important. Having goals are important. They matter. And the policy we're putting at the global scale is important for that. But whenever there's a target set, or a goal in either climate adaptation or climate mitigation. That takes people on the ground doing that work, being supported to do that work, benefiting from that work, seeing a a larger benefit from that work. And so I sometimes feel like the global targets overlook the scale of local involvement and leadership that's needed.
1: Despite the many challenges we face in grappling with the global crisis of a changing climate, Lauren stresses that the combination of all these smaller actions can be as powerful as the global leadership we desperately need.
2: I think for a long time, everyone was hoping for a silver bullet, and there is none, and there never will be. You hear sometimes people say that they feel overwhelmed about, this problem is bigger than me, can I really actually do anything to help? And I actually take the other view, which is that, wow, there's actually so much we can be doing. There are a lot of tools already available that we can be using to help adapt to climate change, to help mitigate future climate change. So really the question is, do you want to be a part of it? And I think that's a question everyone should be asking and answering in their own way.
1: It's a question not only for the growing number of climate conscious adults, or for students like the ones Lauren teaches as an adjunct professor at Stanford, but inevitably for the next generation that her four-year-old son is a part of. I chose to have a
2: child. I did not adopt the mentality of, I'm not going to have a child because the world is ending. (laughs) I am aware of the different world that he's born into. We live in Montana. My kiddo knows when August hits, maybe it's going to be smoky. And he's ready for that. But he doesn't look at it with the same sense of like, that I do, because I've got these other models or predictions or timelines running in my head. But I also hope, you know, I raise a kiddo who wants to help the problems we're facing as we move forward, too.
1: You can learn more about the WCS Climate Adaptation Fund and how to apply for grants there at www.wcsclimateadaptationfund.org. For WCS Wild Audio, this is Nat Moss.
0: WCS Wild Audio Podcast is a production of the Wildlife Conservation Society. Stories reported and produced by Nat Moss, web production by Dan Rosen, with additional production and audio engineering by me, Hannah Kaplan. Please like, rate, or review the show wherever you get your podcasts, and email us at nmoss at with questions and suggestions for future episodes.